tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. I'm all excited. We, I, we got a lot to talk about today. I, I want. I'm just really vexed by this this idea of the text. Somebody wrote me a note. I, I don't know if it was a week or two ago. I tried to deal with it, and and it's just I've been really trying to study up on it. Uh, you know, the contrast between the Antiochian manuscript of the Bible and the Alexandrian manuscript. That sounds very scholarly, and it really is, because it's totally confusing to me. So uh, we're going to talk about that today, along with the readings, but in order to do that, we first have to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit, Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Without further ado, Let's see here. I, I thought I had pulled that up. Much ado about nothing. Let's see here. Today is, of course, Monday of the second week in Lent. I'm correct about that, I think. Yes, and we're, we're, we're on the same, same page. And we read from the book of Daniel. Lord, great and awesome God, who keep your merciful covenant toward those who love you. Daniel, the ninth chapter, the fourth verse and following. We have sinned, been wicked, and done evil. We, the men of Judah, the residents of Ju Jerusalem, and all Israel, near and far, and all the countries to which you have scattered them, because of their treachery toward you. O Lord, we are shamefaced, like our kings, our princes, and our fathers, for having sinned against you. But yours, O Lord, are compassion and forgiveness, yet we rebelled against you, and paid no heed to your command, O Lord our God, to live by the law that you gave us through your servants, the prophets." That's a confession of sin. And I think of the world in which we're living now, in which we are all recapitulating the sin of Adam and Eve. Um, you know, I heard some confessor once say, um, um, there is no such thing as original sin. They're all the same. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but they are kind of all the same. They all stem from, from original sin. I, I've heard people say, some people say, oh, original sin's ridiculous. You know, babies are born innocent. That's just crazy. But I've also heard people say that the, 
the doctrine of the Catholic faith that is most patently, clearly true is the idea of original sin. Human beings and humanity in general are clearly flawed. And we clearly are looking for something better. We have this instinct that there should be something better. And what we learn is that to achieve in the scriptures, we learn to achieve that better part, as as Jesus calls it when talking to uh, uh, Martha, uh, of Martha and Mary, to achieve that good part, the better part, is impossible without the grace of God uh, and without real confession of sin. The sin of Adam and Eve was that they ate the fruit of the tree when they had been told not to. Why did they eat it? Because it was good for food and for the gaining of knowledge. To want to know more than God is pleased to tell us. That's why divination and witchcraft and sorcery are such, and tarot cards and fortune telling, all that stuff are abominations before God because they're the exact opposite of our relationship of what our relationship to God is supposed to be. One of a trusting child in the arms of his or her uh, uh, father. Uh, to want to know more than God is pleased to tell us is, is a terrible, terrible idolatry. We live in an age in which we have lots and lots of knowledge, but very little wisdom. And so we are increasingly in danger of real disaster. So, that's the first part of the sin. What's the second part of the sin? When the Lord appeared in the garden, in the cool of the evening, to Adam and Eve, and he said, you've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve, Adam's first go-to was, Eve made me do it. And Eve's go-to was, the serpent made me do it. And I, I wonder, I do wonder, what would have happened if Adam had said, you're right, Lord, I'm so sorry, if he'd confessed his sin. People don't confess their sins, they explain them. And this, is, this to me, is one of the dimensions of original sin. And until there's real confession of sin, in other words, I admit that I have sinned, then, you know, it's, it's, it's my fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my ancestors' fault. It isn't society's fault. It isn't, the, it isn't God's fault. This isn't the way God made me. Sin may have made me this way, but God didn't. No, that's, that is the, the refrain of our times. God made me like this. Why shouldn't I enjoy it? That's nonsense. God did not make you like this. We read in the scriptures that God did not create death. In, in Ecclesiasticus, we read that, that it was through the envy of the devil that death entered the world. God didn't make you like this. God didn't make you an alcoholic. God didn't make you a, 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 a sociopath. God... Fill in any blank you might have where you want to say, this is not wrong for me because God made me like this. Blame God for it. Blame God? We should blame God who is blameless? God who is righteous? So this, is, this, this prayer is beautiful. We should study it. We rebelled against you and paid no heed to your command, O Lord our God. You know, there's so much talk about the, 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 the primacy of conscience these days. I remember old Monsignor O'Brien, the pastor of the town up in which I grew, um, he railed against the movie Pinocchio, railed against it from the pulpit. And I thought, what? Well, he certainly has had an insight into, uh, into the direction Disney was going even before Disney knew it was going there. 
but he railed against it because Jiminy Cricket sang, always let your conscience be your guide. And he said, only the conscience informed by revelation can be your guide. I may feel in, I'm in good conscience to, to commit adultery. And then I read the scriptures and I study what the Lord has taught through his church, that adultery is wrong. Oh, I guess I was wrong. Most people, when they say conscience, they mean opinion. Well, I'm only following my conscience. No, I'm only following my opinion. What formed your opinion? Nip well, what it I in want the bud. To be true. Exactly. Nip it in the bud. It's only what I prefer to be true, because this is what I want. We live in a generation that understands close to nothing about conscience. The C-O-N preface in, in uh, <clears throat> Latin, as far as I can tell, it comes from the word with but it's an intensifier. So, you know, conspiracy means to breathe together strongly. Uh, uh, conviction means to be strongly conquered. In other words, this, this idea has overtaken me. It isn't to be with conquered. It's strongly conquered. And conscience is, a, is an intense awareness, an intense knowledge. Sheens means knowing. We get the word science from it, knowledge. And so conscience is a strong awareness of, of something's reality. And um, it has to be formed by revelation, by God, because our consciences were dulled by original sin. So... If you're blaming God for something in your life, stop it. It isn't his fault. Well, he made me this way. If God is so loving and good, why does he allow this? Because he wants you to be his son or daughter. He wants you to choose him. And how do we choose a parent? By obeying them. In an adoption, there is always a sort of uh, um, probationary period. I have a number of nephews and nieces who are adopted. And then you go back before the judge and say, yes, we, we want to adopt this child. And if the child is uh, of age, which does happen, adoptions later in life, the child can say, I want this or I don't want it. If there was no darkness, we could not choose light. If there was no possibility of sin, we could not choose virtue. And we must choose God. And so when we say, well, I blame God for my, my moral failings, we are saying, I reject God. God is a bad parent. And I think a lot of people in this day and age genuinely think it. All right, let's get to the gospel, because the God, this gospel is truly wonderful. Uh, the gospel is Luke, the sixth chapter, the 36th verse and following. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. There's that big word again, biggest word in the Bible, as. We're not being commanded to be merciful. We're commanded to be merciful as the Father is merciful. Most people don't want mercy. They want permission. You follow? Mercy is, 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 mercy follows confession. Again, with confession. If a person wants mercy, they have to admit honestly who they are. I have truly done this. Please forgive me and be merciful to me. I deserve punishment, but I ask for mercy. The mercy of God requires a firm purpose of amendment. In other words, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to do the best to live up to what I know God expects of me. 
be merciful just as your father is merciful. That I think that means that you don't uh, you don't put up with bad behavior. You know, we don't hate the wrongdoer. We do hate the wrong that's done. And we have to honestly say, I cannot accompany you in what I regard and know is, is sin, is wrong. Well, that's very judgmental. That's not merciful. No, you don't want mercy. You want permission. And I can't give you permission to do this. You can do it, but you shouldn't. Well, the next line is stop judging and you will not be judged. Once again, I want to remind you of a nifty little thing in Greek grammar. There is an imperative, the aorist imperative, which is just like the English imperative. Do it. Stop judging. Well, it says literally, well, this is a good translation, actually. Uh, don't judge, lest ye be judged. Don't judge. They translated stop, which implies what the Greek text really implies. The, the other form of the imperative, you have the aorist imperative, which is do it. And then you have the, the present imperative, do it and keep doing it until I tell you to stop. Judge not lest ye be judged. Condemn not lest ye be condemned. These are in the present imperatives. These are present imperatives. So it's don't be judgmental lest ye be judged. You must make judgments in your life. I can't do this. Well, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I'm judging me. I can't do this. I may not do this. Um, I don't know how you come to the conclusion you can, but I cannot commit this murder or commit adultery or, uh, or, or rob this bank. I may not do these. Well, you're, you're judging me. Stop judging me. Bible says don't judge. No, don't be judgmental. There are people who think that it is, it is their, um, uh, their job to tell the world how to run its life. You know, one of the things that uh, makes me craziest when people come up to me and sometimes forcibly take what I'm eating away saying, you shouldn't be eating that. I beg your pardon. I've read a book and it's very bad for you. You shouldn't be eating that. I remember uh, uh, it's, 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 uh, I went to a monastery in France uh, for a retreat it was a monastery that produced health food. We had to sneak out to find baguettes and snails, but <laughs> plenty of alcohol in the monastery, just no gluten. So, uh, you know, that, 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 um, well, it was a monastery. I was on their turf. They didn't tell me not to eat. They just didn't have any, any, uh, any unhealthy things in the monastery, darn it. But I have been with people who will literally take the food away from you saying you shouldn't be eating that. I beg your pardon. Who made you the judge of what I should be eating? You see that there are people who just, let me tell you how you should live your married life. Let me tell, I should, the, you know, people love to, I will never forget. Um, oh, good grief. I will never forget uh, when we used to do the old Latin mass once a month at St. Lambert's, just uh, kind of exercise the choir and, and for people, there's so many people who really wanted it. So we did it once a month. Uh, outside the regular mass schedule. Um, and there was a woman, uh, you know, at the old mass, you don't break the action for anything as a priest. You don't go down to the congregation. You don't stride up and down to the congregation. It's very, very stylized ritual. It's the covenant ceremony. That's it. There was a woman making such a fuss 
I had to actually leave the altar. She was in the first pew, and she was just at the point of yelling. And she pointed at this woman across the way who was a parishioner who had never been to Latin Mass and who was following the Latin Mass on her on her cell phone or, or her tablet, some device she had. And I said to this woman who's making the fuss, who, you know, who was, uh, you know, devoutly traditional, she thought. I said, she's following the Mass on the tablet. And she yelled, I don't care. It's electronic and it's a sin. What? It's electronic and it's a sin. You know, uh, um, she thought she was playing uh, uh, computer games during mass. And this is a person who should hear the text. Don't keep judging people and you will not be judged. Forgive, you will be forgiven. In other words, let it go and your sins will be let go from you. Give and gifts will be given to you, good measure, packed down, shaken, packed together, shaken down and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. For the measure, now this is an inviolable rule of the kingdom of God. For the measure with which you measure will in return be measured out to you. For the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. This, uh, translated more loosely, is what goes around comes around. If the world is treating you terribly, it's because you're treating the world terribly. I do not. I treat the world very well. And I expect to be treated. Yeah, I remember hearing the story of a, a minister who was just had a congregation who made his life miserable. And he said, Lord, I don't deserve to be treated like this. And the little voice inside said, so they should treat you better than they treated my son? You know, Jesus was not treated that well, but he radiated the love of the Father, the honest love of the Father to the world. Are you radiating love or are you relating, radiating a demand? Well, I expect this and I expect that. And, you know, the measure with which you measure will in return be measured out to you. This is an inviolable law of the kingdom of God. Can't change. It's as inviolable as the law of physics. You may think you get away with it, but you will get out of life only what you put into it. So if you start the day with a smile and share that smile with people, even when you don't feel like it, well, then smiles may come back to you. They might not come back right away, but they will. All right, that thought finished. We will go to a break. We'll come back. I want to talk a little, especially about one letter I got, but we'll, we'll go to letters. Oh, the phone number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. On the road again. I'm never glad to be on the road. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Father Simon says. This is an hour of obscure facts masquerading as scholarship. On Relevant Radio. This loving night of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This loving night of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I don't know. Sometimes I got a lot of smoke and not much fire, but we'll we'll make do with it. Oh, and that little thing about obscure facts masquerading scholarship. The following little bit is so obscure, I don't think I even understand it. 
but we're going to try. All right, let us go to letters. I got a letter a week or two ago that I have been pondering, asking me to compare the 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 qualities of the Alexandrian uh, Codex, the Alexandrian text of the Bible, and the Antiochene text of the Bible. Believe me, there are a few doctorates in that which I will never get. However, I will, I will, I want to jump into this again. There are a number of codexes. A codex is actually kind of a Christian invention. It means a book. Uh, it may have been a Christian invention. Christians certainly popularized it. Remember, you had scrolls, and scrolls are very unwieldy. You have to remember how far down in the in the in the scroll uh, what you're looking for is. Uh, but they found that if you you took papers and you wrote on front and back of them and arranged them and put them between two wooden covers, it was easier to find stuff and it was much more portable. Uh, Christians like to travel with books of the Gospels. And uh, they proliferated uh, this all this written stuff. Scrolls uh, are very difficult to deal with. So we Christians popularized what is called the book. It was originally called the Codex. And there was a, a Codex uh, that, well, we don't really know where it's from. It's, it's called the, the, uh, the Alexandrian Codex, the Codex Alexandrinus. And we don't really know where it's from. It's called the Codex Alexandrinus, but there were lots of different people who had different theories um, about it. The number of scribes who worked on it, who knows? Um, uh, some people say it came from uh, 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 Alexandria. Some people say it came from Southern Italy. Some people came Central Italy. Nobody knows. Uh, there's also the Codex Sinaiticus, which was found in a monastery in the Sinai. And it was, these are both from the same period, about the fourth century. Now, you know what a codex is. Let us go back to scrolls. This question, you know, oh, I, I should add something. There's something called the Textus Receptus, the received text, which is popular in most uh, Protestant, especially evangelical uh, texts as the or as the correct text of Scripture. The King James is burst on it. Actually, the Dewey Reams is in large measure based on it, I believe. Um, what's going on here? First of all, you got to people ask all the time, what is the best translation of the Bible? Question that cannot be asked from the beginning because of the word Bible. All right. This is going to be complex. So complex. I'm not even sure I understand it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a plunge. The word Bible is of course a Greek word, Biblia, which means the books an A is a neuter plural in Greek and in Latin, but Biblia means books. Biblion means a book. When you use the word Bible, you are if you if you look at the literal word in Greek, it's the books. I was reading the books today. Which one? There are seventy-three at least the way we, we reckon them and the way that the Codex Vaticanus reckons them, the Bible as a text, uh, 
in one place certainly did not exist before the fourth century, the, the, the middle 300s. Didn't exist. These were different books. The oldest copy of a New Testament book, a complete copy, I believe, is around 200 A.D. We have thousands and thousands of fragments of Scripture that go back to the the middle of the of the second century some scholars claim that there are fragments that are earlier than that well, that's kind of late a hundred years after christ oh no it's not at all i don't think we have a copy of for instance uh, a xenophon's anabasis or 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 of, of, of the works of cicero until the late middle ages our earliest manuscript copy, and there are one or two, there are thousands and thousands of fragments of Scripture from the very first centuries of Christianity. So, and they agree with what we have now. Uh, this is an amazing thing that there are so many fragments of Scripture. There is so much more written evidence for the existence of Christ than there are, for instance, of Cicero or Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great. Uh, we have written material that that goes back to a couple lifetimes after Christ and possibly one long lifetime after Christ. Um, depends on who, which scholar you talk to. All that's fascinating, but until, there, until 400 A.D., give or take, there was no such thing as what we would call the Bible. There was the canon of scriptures. These were separate books. We are so accustomed to 500 years of printed texts that we forget that texts, printed texts were a very rare and a very expensive thing. In fact, is it was tantamount to an idolatry to hand over the sacred books. In persecutions, the Romans would say, hand over the, your books. And if you gave over the books, you were considered as evil as a person who had worshipped an idol that, that uh, this was a denial of Christ to hand over the sacred books because they were so few and far between. The fact that we have so many little fragments of Scripture really betokens the idea that Christianity was a literate religion and that there were a lot of these texts, but they were never in one book. So when you say to me, I want the best version of the Bible possible, when you've used the word Bible you've run into a problem. We are so accustomed to printing, giving us an exact copy, and now with photocopying, an exactly exact copy. And you've got to get that idea out of your head that, that, that there was a perfect text of the Bible. There was not a Bible until at least 400, and there, none of those original Bibles that were published in 400 were perfect. The perfect ones were the ones that were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and the other texts written by whoever wrote them. And we don't have those. They are powder. They are dust in the wind because <laughs> paper doesn't last very long uh, unless it's stored in a perfect climate. One of the reasons we have so many copies of the scriptures is because, oddly enough, the desert of Egypt was a perfect climate for the storage of paper. And we have all sorts of little fragments from garbage dumps, that sort of thing. Uh, this, this process of trying to reconstruct 
the the gospels and the other books of scripture as they came from the pen of their author is not a possibility i know that people don't want to hear that but it's true we can get better and better texts and the question was what is what do you think about the alexandrian codex compared to the um uh the 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 uh, byzantine codex or the antiochian codex probably the same thing I would pick the Alexandrian Codex. It's probably a little earlier. Uh, one of the best is the Codex Vaticanus. We don't know where that came from either, but it's in the Vatican now. It was stolen briefly by, I think, Napoleon stole it. Uh, and it, it, uh, it's probably one of the most ancient, complete texts of what we call the Scripture. And it does leave out some things and put some extra things in. Well, then what's the real Bible? The real Bible... This is not a satisfying answer to anyone. The real Bible is, is is this tradition that we've received from the apostles. And we know how to read the scriptures and interpret them because of a continuous interpretation of the church. The church has been going at this for 2,000 years. And without the church, you're not going to get the authentic speaking of the Holy Spirit. You got to change your view of the Bible. If you really want to understand this, uh, the, the, the Bible, I always say, is the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit. You read the Bible to learn the ways in which the Holy Spirit has spoken to humanity over a period of about 2000 years from Abraham until Paul. That's basically what, what is contained in these in these books. And the church looked at them and said, we believe these are, are filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are not. They're interesting, but they're not inspired. They're not breathed with God's breath. And St. Augustine, 400 years, almost 500 years after Christ, said, if the authority of the church didn't stand behind the scriptures, I wouldn't believe a word of them. You know, that... that that you can't interpret the scriptures without the church. And by the church, I don't mean us, us fellows with the plastic collars and the black shirts. I mean, 2000 years of saints and scholars who have written and read and, and spoken on this, you know, my classmate, father Brank, when I come up with a harebrained scheme, he says, have you looked up what the fathers of the church said? <laughs> he said, are you the first one in 2000 years to think this to which I always say, yes, of course, but he's absolutely correct that, that, you can't read the Bible without reference to 2000 years of, 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 of Bible reading. So I, I don't know if I'm making my point at all. You read the text and, and again, Oh, forgive me for this, please. But uh, I remember a bunch of people came into a, uh, a Bible study I was teaching on the South side. They were clearly very serious people dressed in dark colors, carrying big Bibles. And, uh, the question period came up and said, brother, and when someone looks at my little plastic collar and calls me brother, I know they're, they're there to fight. He said, how are you saved? And I said, you're saved by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're saved by grace through faith. And they looked at me and they didn't know where to go because as far as they were concerned, that was the right answer. And it is the right answer. Uh, grace through faith. We can, <laughs> uh, we can talk about what that means, but 
and they asked me a few more questions. And since I speak fluent evangelicalese, uh, they, they, they said, well, brother, we have to be honest with you. We came to break up this Bible study because Catholics know nothing about salvation. And so I got into it with them. At one point I said, you owe your salvation to the Catholic Church. And they just went pale. And the guy lifted up his Bible and he says, I owe my salvation to the words in this book. And I said, where do you think the words in that book came from? From monks who copied them in cold scriptoria century after century. From these books came with the approval of the bishops of the church. You owe your salvation to the Catholic Church if you owe it to the words of that book. At which point they got up and left. So, but I think I was on spot there. That you cannot read the scriptures outside the context of the, the church. Oh, good grief. I'm going to go long on this. I, please forgive me. Um, the, 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 uh, well, how was the Bible written? I mean, who did God appear on Mount Sinai and, and say to Moses, with, with, have a little bag of scrolls and said, here, this is the Bible? You know, that's how they, they portray it in, in, uh, in uh, that wonderful movie, The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston playing Moses hands a bag full of scrolls to Joshua and says, by the way, here's the Bible. Is that how it happened? No, it's not how it happened. In the early church, the, the custom of reading the books, the scriptures, the writings, uh, came into, into the Christian church just as it had been in, you practiced in the synagogues. And the liturgy of the word developed from that. Uh, the liturgy of the word developed from the synagogue service. So, uh, how did they choose what was read? Well, they, they looked at what was being read universally. Remember, Catholic means universal. From Spain to India, from Ethiopia to Germany, what books are being read in the liturgy? And there were some in Ethiopia that were very interesting that weren't being read in Germany and certainly weren't being read in Italy. And Well, they chose the books that were being read in most places. That's, the, the I think, the best theory of how the books of Scripture were chosen. And they finally were canonized. In other words, uh, the reading list was finalized 300, 350 years after Christ uh, by councils of bishops. So you want the original Bible. If you find one, I'd like a copy of it. We have these manuscripts. We have the consensus of scholars on what the most ancient versions of these manuscripts are. We have the consensus of the church on which are inspired. We have the writings of saints and fathers of the church that comment on them. Sometimes comment on books that we don't look at is inspired. And, uh, well, they're still interesting. So it's a very complex thing. But I think the real point I'm trying to make in this long harangue is you cannot read the scriptures out of the context of the church. And by the church, I mean 2,000 years of saints and scholars and heroes for the faith. Uh, uh, there's a third testament, which is the writing of the communion of saints. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the testament of the church. And and again, I'm not talking about us us fellows at the black the white collars and the black shirts. I'm talking about people who have lived their lives uh, 
meditating on these things. I hope this has been of some help and makes a little sense. If you've got a Bible, read it. And if God speaks to you in it, pray on it and, and grow in it. All right, we're going to take a break. I'll come back with a very brief word of the day, I promise. And we will open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. I hope I haven't confused you hopelessly. Well, we're living For every woman to know that she's got support in the community, she's got help. Those crisis pregnancy centers out there that offer assistance and family members and neighbors. And, and you, you know, you can play a role that way, too. Hi, this is Glenn Leverins. Thank you for joining us in praying over half a billion memorares to end abortion in America. Your prayers help put an end to Roe versus Wade, but the fight for life continues at the state level. Please join us as we work toward our next goal of 600 million memorares for the protection of all human life from conception to natural death. Add your memorize to our tally by clicking on the Memorari meter at relevantradio.com. Let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. This is Monsignor Shea, President of the University of Mary, a grateful sponsor of Relevant Radio. We're the nation's most affordable, serious Catholic university with more than 60 undergraduate majors, and now we have a School of Engineering. Study mechanical, electrical, or civil engineering, construction management, or computer science, and do it all while growing in your faith. Amazing scholarships are available, so give us a call or check out cometomary.life. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Luma, proud sponsor of Relevant Radio. My practice began with the focus to serve the church and Relevant Radio listeners locally in Chicago. As an extension of our mission, we have our ongoing resource at CatholicDentistNetwork.com. CatholicDentistsNetwork.com helps you find a local Catholic dentist in your area and provides resources to help keep you healthy. More information at CatholicDentistsNetwork.com. This is Morning Air. SpaceX and NASA launching a fresh crew of astronauts to the International Space Station, which I'm sure is good news for the men on board there because their rescue capsule has got a ding in it from a little little piece of space junk. Note to self, uh, keep your junk out of the entryway, even (laughs) in space. You get to clean up after yourself. Join us on the next Morning Air weekdays, 5 to 8 central, on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Fascinating. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. Let the church roll on. 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 Good advice. Good advice. Yes, yes. The church is a good thing. These are times that we're not so big on the church, but the church is a good thing. 
unfortunately, it's got people like me in it. But other than that, it's a good it's a good idea. All right, let's let us uh, go to the word of the day. Give me a word, any word, and I show you how the root of that word is Greek. I don't think so. A lot of them, yes, but not all of them. And this word has a this word has a Latin root, and the word is passion. We talk about the passion of the Lord. I think, you know, we Catholics have some interesting names, and we assume that people understand our names, like Church of the Assumption. I I assume there's a God. <laughs> That's not what it means, but people who are not Catholic don't know that. I remember a friend of mine, I'm sure I've shared this with you, who was the children of the child of non-practicing high church Presbyterians, um, he was, he was raised as a, as a pagan and, uh, he came to a Spanish mass and he spoke Spanish fairly well. And I will never forget when he said to me, it was very nice, but why did they keep calling him Mr. Jesus? What? Mr. Je- Señor Jesus. The word Señor in Spanish can mean Mr. or Lord as in my Lord. Mr. Jesus. So I think that this is an important idea that when we, when we share Catholic ideas with people, that we try to sift out our 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 code words. You know, are you want to go to RCIA? RCIA? What's that? Is that like you know the record player makers? RC? RCA? No, Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Uh, the one I want to deal with today is the word passion, because when the world world hears passion, they think of someone who is is um, overexcited about something, usually about things they shouldn't be overexcited about. But one can be passionate about art. One can be passionate about about uh, uh, antique trains. One can be passionate about all sorts of things. Well, why do we call it the passion of the Lord? The passion tide is coming up. Tide is a word, an old English word for time. So the time of the passion was Jesus all excited about being crucified? No. The word comes from a Latin word, patior, which means I am open. Or I, You see the paten on the altar, the little flat dish? An open dish was called a patena in Latin. It means to be open, to be powerless. And the idea was when I was overcome by a strong emotion... The Romans thought that was very bad. You were powerless. Hence, the word strong emotion became the same word as passive suffering, passio. We like strong emotions, even when we shouldn't. Uh, but that word passio means to be passive. We get the word passive from passion. The word passion and passive are from the same Latin root. So what it means is the suffering of the Lord. The Passion Tide means the time of suffering, the time of the Lord's suffering. And, you know, we could say it in English and then it would change in 30 years and we'd have to go back. So keep it as the Passion Tide. Just understand what you're talking about. The suffering of the Lord, when the Lord was was made to suffer and did not resist. Passio, to be passive, to be open. All right, let us go now to phones. Telegram for you, sir. He gets mad because he can't read. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, 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 telephone. I actually old enough to remember telegrams. All right, let's go to Vicky from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Are, with, are you with us, Vicki? Uh, yes, I am. Hi, Father. Good. Hi. What can I do for you? Uh, Father, I'm, I'm divorced. 
Um, but mm-hmm. I, I am a mother of four, and I went mm-hmm. back to the church recently, and um, I just wanted, I was yearning for um, communion again. Mm-hmm. So I called yeah. the Archdiocese in Philadelphia, and they mm-hmm. said that it would be okay for me to receive communion. Sure. I wanted your advice, Father. Well, I have to ask you a question or two. Are you currently married? No, the divorce is final, Father. No, no, I mean, you're not married to anyone else. Oh, no, I'm not, Father, no. No, 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 the problem is not divorce so much as divorce and remarriage. Divorce, as you know, is a horrible thing. I mean, uh, the text of Scripture says God hates divorce, and I bet you do too. I, I tell people, prefer a serious illness to a divorce. It is wrenching, but sometimes it it happens, you know, especially if there's real psychological uh, or, or even worse, physical abuse. So that's, but divorce isn't the problem in that sense. It's divorce and remarriage. You can only marry once uh, in a sacramental marriage. Now, that marriage may not have been valid or it may have been valid if the time comes when you need to look into it, talk to your parish priest about an annulment. An annulment is not saying, well, we're divorced. It's saying there was never a real marriage in the first place. That's that's down the road a bit. But right now you are living a, a life of chastity and trying to raise your children and you are welcome to and and much blessed by the grace of Holy Communion. So, yeah, that the diocese, of course, was absolutely correct. And even if I hadn't seen it, I would have said, follow the advice of your bishop, hence the diocese. But yes, you, you're, you, are, you are free and encouraged to receive Holy Communion. Does that help, Vicki? Oh, that's wonderful to hear, Father. Because yeah, that is I was wonderful. just so afraid if I was receiving mm-hmm. and I wasn't supposed to, I was like, hyperventilating about it yeah no if you've made a good confession you are free to receive holy communion and um you know if if somebody wants to start courting you uh, be very hesitant about it and get 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 make sure that that uh, you you've talked to your parish priest about the possibility of an annulment if you're divorced you know and you know i've seen so many situations in which people feel forced into marriage for one reason or another and you can't be forced into marriage i've known people who actually went through with a wedding because they paid so for so much for the hall and that's no reason to get married. Most people, most cause for annulment is that, that people were just too young. They were unable to, to in, in this day and age, we just don't grow up as fast as we used to. And the, the pressure to get married is, is, is phenomenal in certain places. So you can look into that at some point if you want. But right now you're in, you're in good shape. So God bless you, Vicki, and welcome home to the faith. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Father. Well, God bless you. All right. And, and uh, I'm honored that you listen. Okay. I'll be praying for you. God bless. Let's Thank go you, now Father. today. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Let's go to the word. Let's go to David. Are you with us, David? Yes, I am. Good. What can I do for you? Father, I have a question that I can't find an answer to. Section 954 of uh, the uh, CCC states that the three states of the church are the pilgrim church on earth, those died being purified, and those in glory. However, we always refer to this, and I hear every Catholic priest or instructor talk about the church militant and the church suffering and the church triumphant. And I can't 
find out where those phrases came from. I was told by uh, a priest that it might be St. Augustine. But I, yes. I just, I'd like to know in case I'm asked. All right. I've got two things to refer you to. St. Augustine uh, was uh, converted to Christianity after the Roman Empire had accepted Christianity as a legal religion and was essentially going on to make it the state religion. It, it, Constantine did not make Christianity the state religion. He just declared all religions legal, but he had a particularly a particular favor for Christianity. St. Augustine came after him, and he looked at a text of Scripture, uh, Luke, the 14th verse, the 23rd chapter, in which it's a parable of the banquet, and uh, the servants of the king go out and, and say they don't want to come in. Uh, and the master told his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He looked at that verse, and he said that he interpreted it to mean that the power of the government could be legitimately used to compel participation in the church. St. Augustine said a lot of things that he later regretted. I don't know if he later regretted that, but he, he, that, I, I recall being taught that he was the one who really thought that the idea of a state church wasn't such a bad idea. Then we have Second Timothy, the second verse, the third uh, the third, the second chapter, the third verse, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. The word soldier in Latin is miles. It's, it's genitive form is militis from which we get the word militant. So the, the soldiering church, but that's not interpreted as literally being a soldier with a weapon, but fighting with the spiritual weapons of, of, of uh, that we read about in Ephesians. So between Second Timothy, the second chapter, the third verse, and Saint Augustine's interpretation of compel them to come in from uh, the Gospel of Luke, that's where this comes from, most probably. Does that help? Well, it does, and so therefore, can I conclude that uh, you know those three terms really derive from Saint Augustine? No, I don't know that they derive exclusively from St. Augustine. The idea of of of, mili of literal military compulsion comes from Augustine, but the idea of a militancy about one's faith is is really biblical. Uh, it, it, uh, St. Paul talks about a number of places, but very clearly in Second Timothy, uh, um, that that's um, in First Corinthians. He says, "Who serves as a soldier at his own expense." Uh, so, uh, you know, the, this idea of a soldier of Christ, milites, uh, 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 milites Christi, it would be like the soldiers of Christ. Uh, but um, the others, the church, the church penitent uh, that I don't know. I, I don't know the first person to string all of those together, but the, 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 the soldiering church is very definitely biblical and was emphasized by St. Augustine. That's as good as I can do you. I hope that helps a little. Oh, it, it does help a little. If I'm asked a question by someone who, you know, asks, well, why do those terms used? At least I can now refer back to Augustine and... And, uh, and Second Luke Timothy, and, yeah. Yeah. So and, and thank you Timothy. so much. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. And, you know, the idea of... Uh, uh, the church triumphant, that's also very, very much part of Paul, that we are more than conquerors. 
uh, through him who loved us. Is that, I think that's the letter to the Romans and, uh, uh, church penitent. Well, that's, that's pretty obvious. So I hope that helps, but, oh, I, sorry to be so long and so, what's the word I'm looking for? So verbose today, but hey, I like to talk. <laughs>